You ever felt that you got the raw deal when it comes to a start in life? You're about to bump into a man that probably had a terrible start in life and yet he wasn't concerned about how he started in life. It just was a concern to him how he finished in life. We're going to um, look into the book of Chronicles which is of course in the Old Testament. So if you only bought your New Testament, you're in trouble about now. So the book of Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 4, we're going to be reading about a man by the name of Jabez. He's very famous for his prayer. Very famous. The book of Chronicles is an amazing book because it it is a a book of lists. It chronicalizes or lists things. So in 1 Chronicles 4, we have a list of famous people. And most of them were famous because their father was famous, but that wasn't the only reason. They then went on to do something famous. It's really looking at generational blessings. I often get Christians, oh, you know, there's generational curses around. Look, I understand that, but I'm more into talking about generational blessings than I am generational curses. And so there is the passing on of the baton, so to speak, and people were famous because their dad was famous, and then their sons were famous, except for one person. There's mentions 151 men in this chapter, 14 women in this chapter, who did powerful things. So noted were they up to the point of writing chronicles that they end up in the list. They're all famous because their families were famous, except one, and that's Jabez. He doesn't have a dad to talk about. His mother had severe problems, and we'll get to that. His brothers were absolute dropkicks, and we'll get to that. He had nobody to recommend him, yet for nobody in the entire chapter, for the other 150 males and the other 14 women, for none of them does it stop to tell you what he did or why he was famous, except Jabez. So we could say he was winning from behind because he didn't come from a famous family. He didn't come from a famous dad. He didn't have a famous mum. And certainly his brothers weren't famous. Yet he was. So what's your excuse? Do you want to be, when you leave this life, either taken by the the undertaker or the overtaker, whoever gets us first, I don't care. But do you want to leave your mark on the earth and know that you have done something so powerful that history stops for you? You say, but I wasn't born into... I don't start that. Neither was Jabez. But yet, he leaves his mark on the face of the earth. 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. Jabez was more honourable than his brothers and his mother called his name Jabez saying, because I bore him with great sorrow. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, and here's the four-part prayer of Jabez, all that thou would bless me and bless me indeed. Second part of the prayer, and enlarge my coast. Third part of the prayer, and that your hand might be upon me. Fourth part of the prayer, that you would keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. It's my conviction he prayed this as a teenager, and he lived the rest of it out in his life. But this is not the only place where Jabez is mentioned. If you turn... One of the most interesting things about the book of Chronicles is it's not in chronological order. That's the funny thing about the book of Chronicles. You think it would be in chronological order, but it's not. So if you turn left uh, from chapter 4, in other words, go back two chapters to chapter 2, we're now going to be looking at a chapter which lists very famous cities. 
And it's not written in chronological order, but this is listing famous cities. And if you look at verse 55, it says this, And the families of the scribes which dwelt at Jabez, the Tyriathites, the Shimeathites, the Suchathites, and the Termites. Well, almost. These are the Kenites that came of Hamath, the father of the house of Rechob. Jabez became so famous that he either established a city or else they took over a small town and eventually became known as the city of Jabez. Now we'll get to the point of his mother, his brothers and his his father, but we have no mention of his father. Possibly his father died. It could be that uh, uh, the entire family was dysfunctional in the sense of the parentage. We don't know. We know nothing of that. But what we do know is the following. And what I'm about to share in the history of Jabez does not come from Scripture. And that doesn't make it spurious, but if you know anything about uh, Bible times and the Jewish nation, you would know that they, of course, are guardians of the Old Testament. The 39 books of the Old Testament are sacred to the Jewish nation. They collect them differently than we do. In other words, organize them in what we would call the Old Testament different to us. But nevertheless, they are guardians of the Old Testament. But they have two other sets of books which they regard as extremely important. They don't regard them as sacred, but they regard them as extremely important. One is called the Talmud, and the other is the Togum. It's in the Togum that it tells us about Jabez. Jabez became so expert in the works of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, uh, the Torah, or the uh, Pentateuch, as it's sometimes called. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So expert, he became known as a doctor at law. Now today you can go to one of the fine universities, and I was looking at a, a, a diagnostic report of the most successful universities here in New Zealand, I think yesterday, and the Otago University is number one, Auckland University was number two, and on it went listing the, the famous universities in this great land. And you can go to one of these universities and do certain degrees and through to masters and eventually up to the doctoral level. But we're dealing in a day and age before there was ever a university. But yet he's called a doctor at law. To gain that title, to be uh, known as a doctor at law, he had to be totally expert in the works of Moses. So someone could come and there would be a dispute between folk within a village and he'd say, boom. And he could quote exactly the work of Moses and the particular laws and the particular regulations and sub-regulations that would adjudicate and would judge and bring judgment and justice into that particular dispute. But then he became so powerful in his executing of the the word of God amongst the, the children of Israel that possibly it happened incidentally or seemingly accidentally to start with. But young men started to be attracted to him saying things like, Jabez, would you, would you teach us the word of God? Well, why, why? Because you have such a grasp of it. And it probably, as I said, happened incidentally or appeared that way to start with. But he began, well, look, the best way is you begin to copy the word of God out. And it's under Jabez that the school of the scribes was, a, was a commenced. Now, when you mention the word scribes, please forget the complete morons that lived in the time of Jesus. They were at, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were at to, um, you know, kill and assassinate Jesus. But the, the initial school of the scribes was started by Jabez, in where Jabez would get them to copy out the word of God. And so the transmission of the word of God coming to us down through the ages was because a man caught the vision of God. 
Even though he didn't have a great starting life, he commenced the school of the scribes. It probably only happened with a couple to start with, and then the threes or fours, and then the half a dozens, and their families, and they had to live somewhere and establish the school of the scribes. If I was to say, where do you think the first Bible college was in, in Old Testament times, many of us would probably incorrectly say, well, I've heard about something called the school of the prophets in Elijah, Elisha's day. And you're absolutely correct. But this, the school of the scribes, predates that by hundreds of years. And so the word of God coming to us was transmitted because God powerfully laid in the hands of Jabez, or in his heart rather, to pass on this skill of knowing God's word. And so they began to scribe at the works of Moses and later the works of Samuel and later and on it went. And even years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, after he's dead and gone, uh, etc., they're still the scribes are, are translating or bringing the word of God to the attention of people. We now have a Bible that we can get at any bookshop, but believe me, we wouldn't even have that if it hadn't been for Jabez. Probably to me, the most influential man that has helped us gather the word of God in the Old Testament is Ezra. He's responsible for the collating and the collection of pretty well all of the Old Testament, with the exception, of course, of the books that were written just after him, like Malachi and that type of thing. But uh, he is responsible. But the second man I would put as the most responsible for bringing God's word to us would be Jabez. But he doesn't have a mum that, that, that thinks he's worthy of any great event. He doesn't have a dad worth speaking of. He has brothers that are real problems. So with that as a background in terms of the life of Jabez, let me share with you some life principles quickly this evening. Principle number one in life. History shouldn't control us. To a large degree or another, we've all got what we might call mum problems. I don't technically mean your mum. I mean stuff that we've got no accountability for. When Jabez was born, she gave him a name which is not very complimentary. She calls him Jabez because it means one that I bore with great sorrow. You can almost imagine if he could instantly talk after birth saying, thanks very much, Mum, I really appreciate that. Today, we are not as concerned of the meanings of names as we are with the fashion of names, true? So one minute Jack's very popular as a name and the next minute it's not. But in biblical times, they gave people names according to certain sense of destiny. And she gives him a name. I mean, it's like the poor little kid that was born and was called Ichabod. Well, thanks very much for a name like that. Meaning the glory of God has departed. Almost a, excuse the expression, but it's almost a curse over the life of the child. Because the parent was, couldn't deal with something, they then pass it on to the kid. So history shouldn't control us. Jabez had no quality control over what happened in his mum's life. What are the possibilities of what happens with his mum's life? Possibly his dad, Jabez's dad, might have died just before, or a short period before, the birth and so when obviously he's born, he, she, she names him after this great pain in her heart in losing her husband, one I bore with great sorrow. Don't do that to your kids. Label kids with your problem. It could be that one of her other sons or daughters, one of her other children died. There is a suggestion in Jewish thought that it could have been that Jabez was a result of a rape, although that's not very high on the agenda. But the, what, it really doesn't matter what mum's problem was. 
And it really doesn't matter where you've come from and what the mum problems were or what the dad problems were or what the, the lineage or the genealogy of your family. You might say, well, I'll never be able to be a success, you know. Every... I have a twin brother and Anthony and I are the first heralds ever in recorded history to ever go on to higher education. The attitude of our family was, well, you know, we're, 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 not, um, we're not clever enough. Don't do that to your kids. Don't determine what they're going to be. Project that they're going to be greater than you. We've built into our three kids, you are going to do greater things than uh, mum and dad, than we are, your mum and dad. I'm building into my grandkids now. You're going to do greater things than your parents. My youngest son spent 10 minutes with the Queen last year. My oldest son was appointed onto a committee by the Prime Minister. And yet, they've been some of my goals to bring the gospel to men and women in high office. I have had the pleasure of speaking to Prime Ministers and, and, and uh, uh, Premiers of our state, etc. But to be invited on that, do I get jealous about that? No. Our children should be destined to do greater things than we've done. And to a large degree, we've all got problems. I came from a lack of education background. But my dad wanted, and my mum wanted us to have a chance. So don't look where you're going. History shouldn't control us. You say, well, it doesn't matter what happens to me. Oh, yes, it does. Oh, yes, it does. So many people sell out to that lie. Well, it doesn't happen what hap- doesn't matter what happens to me. It won't affect anybody else. Yes, it does. What happens to me directly affects my kids. It directly affects my grandchildren. How many grandparents here? Isn't it fabulous being grandparents? If I'd realised being a grandparent was so much fun, I would have bypassed the kids. It is so much fun. You can be an idiot all over again and it's legal. But see, I'm saying now to my grandkids, you are destined to do greater things than your mummy and daddy. Because I don't want any of our kids or our family selling out that there's a certain level you can get to and you can't go beyond. The sky's the limit. History shouldn't control us. And as I said, you might say, well, it doesn't really affect anybody else. What happens to me? Let me read a story out of here called It Almost Cost Us World War III. Some might know it, but I'm sure if you don't, you'll find the end of it rather a shock. In the insecurity of the Eastern world, the emotional scarring inflicted on a small, illegitimate boy by rejection, ridicule and name-calling seems so insignificant. The cry of bastard boy by the neighbourhood children stung the very tender spirit of this child. This local nickname for the lad was a constant source of emotional and psychological torture for him. Why can't I have a father as proud of me like the other children have? He'd constantly ask his mother. She looked on speechless. She had... No easy answer. However, his lifelong feelings of rejection, ridicule, powerlessness, despair and torture suddenly changed with a visit from his strange uncle on his 10th birthday. He gave the lad a small pistol with live ammunition and told him to shoot anybody who caused him problems. The child was quick to learn the power of a gun. He was soon seen strutting about his small community with a new arrogance. From his belt, a fully loaded pistol jutted with just the handle in view, just enough to instill terror. People, people now treated him with respect. The difference was amazing. Villagers, whether adults or children, didn't try to hurt him anymore. Nobody called him bastard boy. This youngster would grow up and go through life shielding all his vulnerabilities with a gun. 
This emotionally insecure child would become a man who'd take the world to the brink of destruction. It almost cost us World War III. Who was this peasant boy from the quiet village of Al-Alajar? None other than Saddam Hussein, the Iraqi dictator. The emotional terror that scarred the life of one child has afflicted the world. Can you imagine the nonsense I get with a name like Ivan? Oh, Ivan, Ivan the Terrible. And I'll say yes to the kingdom of darkness. I'm not going to let people mess about with my name or uh, be negative. I'm here to change the world. I'm here to be part of the solution. I'm not part of the problem. History shouldn't control us and Jabez refused to let it happen in his life. Principle number two in the life of Jabez out of the story and the background, you've got to learn in life to reject rejection. You've got to learn to reject rejection. I was looking at an incredible quote about how that people suffer with not dealing with stuff and they suffer with a dose of, of lethal rejection. Not lethal injection, lethal rejection. And maybe something bad has happened to you and you think, well, I'll never back. No, 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 don't let us suffer for that. You know, I believe life is, is such a powerful issue. Pastor David was encouraging us not only about the first point in not letting the past um, over, overrule our life, but he was making a point about choice. And, and reading that great passage about choosing either death or life. You know, that's, that's a statement I'm often using. One of my key statements when I'm in the corporate realm is, listen, life's to be lived, but we need to learn to choose choice and reject rejection. Choose choice. And I believe Jabez choose, chose choice. Look, it's, he's sorry what happened to mum, but it's outside his control. He's getting on with his life. He's sorry that he doesn't have a dad worth talking about. Not even mentioned in the whole chapter. But that's not his problem. Sometimes you're grieving with stuff and rejecting on stuff that's outside of your accountability. Third principle about Jabez, he was destiny conscious. Be destiny conscious. My concern with many Christians is their concept of destiny is totally incorrect. It's a basically, one day, my ship will come in. No, it won't. It's sunk. <laughs> They've always got this future concept of destiny. Listen, I'll tell you what destiny is. I'll spell it for you. D-E-S-T-I-N-Y. Doing everything significantly, totally ignoring negative yesterdays. That's what destiny is. This week is going to be the best week we've ever had. It's going to be the best week in our marriage. It's going to be the best week in our, in our home. It's going to be the best week in church. It's because we are living our destiny now. If you live every day and week full of the fact of, you know, when you get up in the morning, it's not a matter of, oh, good Lord, it's morning. It's a matter of, good morning, Lord. What a day. What incredible things are we going to get up to today? And you're destiny conscious. Destiny conscious. Uh, we were ministering in Washington, D.C., in America. And I'm not the world's best tourist. And they said to Pauline and I on the Sunday, is anywhere you'd like to go tomorrow? And before my dearly, dear darling wife could draw breath, I said, yes. And she looked at me and she thinks, you never want to go and look at anything. And I said, I want to go to the Washington Memorial. I didn't say anything. And so they organised a wonderful day. I knew what Pauline wanted to go and see, the White House. But I want to go to the Washington Memorial. 
there's hundreds of people going up and down the steps. It's where that at the end of it, there's the, the um, end of the Washington Memorial. There's that wonderful building that houses the statue of Abraham Lincoln sitting in, in marble. And it's got his great speeches on the wall. They're just fabulous just to stand and read. Not just simply the Gettysburg speech, but many others. But I wanted to go there for a particular purpose. You'd know the Washington Memorial if you've ever seen the film Forrest Gump. Because that's the th- where they're all in the pond, etc. That, that's it. But I'm looking for one thing. Literally hundreds of people going up the steps, walking around, looking, reading, etc. But I'm after one thing. And it's, I knew it's somewhere on the top steps. I knew there that once a man stood and changed the face of America and I believe much of the world. The dared to say, I have a dream. And there, sure enough, on the top step, are two bronze plates that have been sunk into the marble or whatever the steps are made out of. Everybody's walking over the top of them, but not me. I've got to stand in these steps. I want to stand where this man, I want to feel what this man felt because I believe we're men and women of destiny. I wasn't even born in Australia, but I believe I was born for Australia and the nations beyond. I believe we have enormous destiny. I believe that God wants to change the world through men and women who catch a vision. We're here to be the answer. We're not part of the uh, problem of our nation. Be destiny conscious. Give it to you again. Doing everything significantly, totally ignoring negative yesterdays. Fourth principle about the life of Jabez. Live life prioritising honour and integrity. The verse starts, Jabez was more honourable than his brothers. The question is, what did his brothers do? The answer is, who cares? Why do we want to know what his brothers did? And I'll illustrate that. Most of you know, of course, the story about the 12 spies going into the promised land and bringing back wonderful supplies of of grapes and and pomegranates and the the, the bounty of the land. You know that two of them were positive and the other 10 were negative and caused the children of Israel to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. You know the story. Question number one. Name either of the two positive spies. Come on, yell them out. You got them. Joshua, Caleb, ding. Good marks. Question number two, name any of the ten negative ones. Who cares? That's the point. You've got it right. Absolutely. Who wants to follow them? I'm sorry, I don't like the phrase in itself because I think it'd be a put down. But who wants to follow a loser? I don't. I don't. I want to look for good models. Do you know the tragedy is sometimes in the world we find better role modelling than we find in the church? And out in the community, we see better stuff advertised from the world than we do in the church. This is a full-page ad out of the US Today newspaper. My friends in America, when I'm travelling there, and I've checked on her several occasions, tell me that a full-page ad in the US Today, which is probably one of America's, if not America's most reputable, certainly most widely read newspaper in America, will cost you somewhere between seventy-five dollars and $125,000 for a full-page So why would Merrill Lynch, I'm not sure if they're represented in the financial world over here in New Zealand, they are in Australia, why would Merrill Lynch spend seventy-five dollars to $125,000? Surely to tell you they're the best finance company. If you want insurance, come to them. If you want uh, investments, come to them. They've got the best, uh, um, you know, sort of deal when it comes to superannuation, all the sort of financial issues. Surely they would want you to know that if that's what they're about. But let me read to you what Merrill Lynch spent seventy-five dollars to $125,000 on. If you want to see something done, just tell some human being it can't be done. 
make it known that it's impossible to fly to the moon or run to 100 metres in 9.9 seconds or solve Furman's last theorem. Remind the world that no one ever has yet hit 62 home runs in a season, stuffed 18 people into a Volkswagen bug or set half the world free or cloned a sheep, dangle the undoable in front of the world, then stand back and consider it done. Why is it that Christians don't speak like this? True. So there are lots of bad examples, don't, but our example is we're going to prioritise honour and integrity. Don't follow bad examples. How many of us, come on, how many of us have at one time or another been um, you know, shortchanged in a shop? Come on, hands up. For all the hands that are not up, you didn't know it happened. Well, we never went shopping again. Of course we did. When we bumped into a bad example of anything, all of us probably, or most of us, have been over-serviced one time or another on our car when it's been serviced because we don't understand mechanics or been over-serviced in the computer division because we don't. We've all been at the mercy of people who have taken us for granted. There are always bad examples of teachers or bad examples of policemen or bad examples of ministers or bad examples of counsellors or bad examples of Christians. Well, I'm not going to church. Oh, grow up. Jabez says, rather the word says, Jabez was more honourable than his brothers. It doesn't matter what his brothers did wrong. It's totally irrelevant. It doesn't matter the bad examples you bump into. It doesn't matter if you say, well, I've been hurt by a pastor. Welcome to life. It doesn't matter if you've been hurt by a teacher or or, or some um, vocational guidance counsellor didn't give you the right advice. We're here to change the world. And it doesn't come when we are affected by those around about us uh, who you want to blame. Prioritise honour and integrity. Sometimes I'm handling ministers from many denominations who may have failed morally. And the tendency at that time is people say, oh, you know, it's, 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 it's an epidemic um, rate. No, it's not. No, it's not. The problem is when it happens, it becomes so... So painful, not only for the individuals in it, but for the church as a whole. You see, I didn't hear on the news tonight, not that I listened to it, but I didn't hear on the news tonight a report saying, I'm now going to give you a report from the Napier Airport. We're very pleased to report that 35 planes landed safely and 25 took off. Let us give you a report from Auckland before we go to Wellington. You don't get a report like that every night on the news about planes coming in and planes going out safely. But should one plane, be it an ultralight, hit the tarmac, it's on the night news. True? Even if it happens in Invercargill. It's on the night news. It's highly likely to be on your news if it happens at Mascot, Sydney. Why do we prioritise bad stories? It's the human race. But Psalm uh, uh, 101 verse 6 says this, Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land. Not the unfaithful. For every one I'm handling that might have crossed the line sexually as a minister and needs to be stood down and needs to go through discipline and needs to go through restoration, for every one that did that, I'm telling you, there are thousands of ministers that wouldn't dare even think that, let alone act it. So keep your eyes prioritising honour and integrity. Next principle, when you leave this life, leave something behind. He left a Bible college. He left a school of scribes. He left a mighty city. He left a reputation. He left an incredible prayer that's been a mighty blessing to you all. Principle six, become the best in your field. 
He became the best teacher of the works of Moses. He became a doctor at law. Don't use the expressions just when you're around me. I'm just the mother. No, you're not. You're a lady that's possibly training and raising the next Billy Graham or or Catherine Kuhlman. You're a woman that's changing the destiny of New Zealand through the family you're raising. You're not just a mother. I'm just a steward. I only stand on the door. No, you're not a steward. You're the front door of this church. People decide, listen to this, between seven and nine minutes of coming through that door whether they're coming back next week. Now, Pastor Mike, Pastor Doug, Pastor Dave, we, don't, we hate that statistic. You say, why? Because they haven't got to see what brilliant preachers we are. In seven and nine, but they've already decided because I'm telling you, there's some people I wouldn't near that door because they look like they've been baptised in vinegar to start with. You're not just a steward. Be the best in your field. If you're a teenager, be the best teenager. Amen? As a mum, we're going to be the best this week. As a dad, we're going to be the best. As a husband, we're going to be the best. As a marriage, we're going to model and be the best. Finishing off now with the prayer of Jabez, very quickly. I would encourage you, if you have a computer at home or or whatever, and you can type out this prayer of Jabez, because a lot of people say, I'd love to have a better prayer life. Type this out and work this one out in your system. I'm telling you, it will really help. Type the four lines separately. Get it as big a type as will fit on one page and print it off and stick it up on your wall. And then use the four parts. You will find your prayer life will really blossom if you use it. It's very powerful. First part of the prayer. uh, prayer. All that I would be blessed and blessed indeed. My problem with some of the translations is they leave out the second bit. They simply translate it, oh, that I would be blessed. That's not what it says in the original. Oh, that I would be blessed and blessed indeed. Do you know there are over 505 references to bless, blessing, blesseth, all the words and the derivatives of that word? Over 505. Do you think God's trying to get through to us? He wants to bless us. So we say, thank you, God. Bless my marriage today and this week. Bless my kids. Bless Pastor and Joy as they're away overseas. Bless their their daughter as she's had a lovely baby. Bless our pastors as they're home with us. Bless our youth department, although I think their music is a bit loud. I don't. Bless our ladies in in the church. Bless the business. Bless our council here in the Hawke's Bay. Pray the blessing over everything. It's amazing. Think about every social um, action you have. Bless me and my work, Lord. Make me the best worker in all of Hawke's Bay. That my employers proud to have me on staff. I believe Christians should be the best workers in town. Second part of the prayer, that you would enlarge our coast. And he didn't even live by the seaside. He's saying, God, enlarge me. Now, with some of us, that doesn't take much help. We do that naturally. But what he's not talking about is, and and think about it. God, enlarge my attitude to my marriage. Enlarge my my capacity to love. Enlarge my motivations. Enlarge pastor's vision and the church's vision. Enlarge our council. Enlarge and and prosper our city. Pray it through every area. God, enlarge our, our children's view of God. Enlarge the their capacity of, 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 of our finances to, to honour the kingdom and to not only prosper personally, but to prosper the kingdom. Pray it through every aspect. You find it such a blessing. third part of the prayer was that the hand of God would be upon us. Think about every... God, thank you, your hand's upon 
our marriage. Thank you, Lord, when I go to work in the morning, your hand's going to be upon me in safety as I drive to and from or going to be on safety as my wife drives to work or going to be with the kids. Come on, as parents, how many, many of us are concerned about the well-being of our kids when they go to school, some of the stuff that's dished out at school, both in teaching and the environment that they're exposed to, but we're believing the hand of God is going to be upon our kids. We're believing it. And you pray it over your family. You pray it over pastor and the oversight of the church. You pray it over the church. You pray it over the city. Fourth part of the prayer. Keep us from evil, but we won't grieve over it. God, thank you. Keep me from evil. It's dealing with past stuff. Jabez could quickly revert back. Oh, I didn't have a dad worth talking about. Mum's got a huge problem. My brother's drop kicks. But God, keep me from evil, that I will not grieve over it. You only grieve over what have an emotional attachment to. I haven't got time to develop that, but that's absolutely true. You only grieve over what you have an emotional attachment to. He's not been emotionally attached to the past. That's, that's cut off from his life. He doesn't care if he's got a name like Jabez. I think it's a great name, but he doesn't care about what the meaning of it is. He knows he's a man of destiny. It doesn't matter what somebody else calls you or the names they might call you. It matters what God calls you and you're a child of the Most High God. Let me finish with this illustration. When we finished high school, I'm talking we because my twin brother and I, like many of you over here, if you happen to be uh, 50 onwards, you had to do an idiot test called a vocational guidance test. Vocational guidance test is supposed to show you what you're basically innately you know, skilled for. If you're really good with numbers, figures, etc., they say you could be an accountant or a bookie. And a, oh, I mean an accountant, sorry. Really good with your hands, you'd be a mechanic, whatever. Well, I was really thrilled at 16. I mean, I'm going to find out my destiny. I've done the, the exam. Well, vocational guidance tests are a bit like blood tests. You can't sit up and study for a blood test, can you? You can't sit up and study for a vocational guidance test. You've just got to do it. And I was so thrilled. So the, about three weeks after we'd done it, there was five of them in the team came back and they were each allocated a particular uh, room and, and a single student went into each so they could get through them all quickly. My name was called. <laughs> this is it. No destiny. As the guy has my report in his hands, he invites me to sit down as he shuts the door and he's got my report, flops it onto the table and this is his first response. hasn't said a word and I have not got a good impression. He flips the page over. These are his first words. Ivan, whatever you do, don't use your head. I'd like to find him today. I'd like to find him and say, what have you done with your life, bucko? I wonder how many incredible, marvellous young people went into his room that day and he smashed their sense of destiny. He sat there and said, but you've got great dexterity with your hands. Now I knew he was off the planet. These are registered lethal weapons. We have one rule in the Herald household. Ivan, if something breaks, don't touch it. You don't want it broken anymore. Bring in a specialist. Bless them, pay them, but don't touch it. I sat there as he just demolished my set. Never consider going on to higher education. Never go on to university. You will not achieve. And then I sat there thinking, oh, I've got another report. This one says, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. I have another report that says, I am more than a conqueror through him. 
I have another report that says in him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So I chose to believe the biblical report, not his report, not because it's nicer, but because it was truer. Get a JB spirit behind you. Even though you might have come from behind, you think, like Jabez, he was a winner from behind. Let's pray.